0: How's it going? Welcome to JU Israel, the teacher's lounge where we keep you connected to what's going on in Israel and give you some insight behind the headlines. I don't know what that noise was. I am your host, Michael Unterberg. It wasn't me this time. <laughs> no, I don't even know if it'll come out. Uh, and I'm here as always with co-host Alan Goldman. How's it going, Alan? Okay, Mike, how are you? All right. I think this uh, room may be haunted. We're not in a coffee. <laughs> it's maybe, we go, maybe this time we should go back to coffee shops. It's yeah, not
1: right? It's not really a lounge. You just call it a teacher's lounge. I'm I mean, it's not very comfortable.
0: <laughs> that teacher's lounge aren't. That's a teacher's, teacher's lounge, lounge mean, comfortable. Yeah, you've never worked as a teacher's I just, lounge. I, do
1: you know what? When I used to get called into the teacher's room at school, <laughs> it was never for reasons of comfort. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, but they never called you. I hope they didn't call you into the lounge, but that's a whole other. Yeah. No, no, they, um, called, they
1: called me into the staff room, and I was whacked with a training shoe, usually six of the best pretty much every day throughout my high school.
0: Training shoe is what we in America call a sneaker. Yeah, logo. sneaker. Yeah. sneaker. Yeah. Wow, that's rough. Yeah. Could have been worse. Could have been a leather boot. I got <laughs> thrown into a wall once. Second.
1: By a teacher. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had that as well.
2: Oh,
0: yeah. I just had a in like second grade, whole dictionaries in the corner. What stories
1: are our kids going to tell?
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, my teacher once degraded my self image by saying I wasn't excellent. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Their abuse stories are going to be much lamer. Well, as you can all hear. Or it could be worse. <laughs> I guess. As you can all hear, we have uh, a guest this episode, David Harris. David, can you give us your bona fides of why we even would want to talk to you?
1: You really don't. Um, (laughs) Journalist by training, been a student of the Middle East for... 30 years and know very little about it. Um, (laughs) These days, I work for an organization called Clarion Project. We're an American nonprofit dealing with the world of radical Islam. Uh, And obviously, if that is your focus, then the Middle East is part and parcel of what we do.
0: So we're bringing you in not because we want to talk to you, but because you're a useful resource to talk about the Middle (laughs) East, even though we've more or less had it with you.
1: You, you, with the Middle East or with me,
0: <laughs> both. I guess. Yeah.
1: Now that you pointed no, out, thank you for calling me useful. It's more than my mother ever did. <laughs> we're, it,
2: we're, we're descending into some British humor here. You, you did notice, well, Michael's thought, getting
0: into the spirit of things. I thought we were doing therapy for David's childhood abuses by his mom in the school. I, thought, that's I
1: thought my accent was Canadian. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, had <that's> us <laughs> fooled. Yeah. Well,
0: we thought that with uh, the only constant really in the Middle East is change, but this happens to be a time of particular turmoil. And so we thought we would do an episode, with David's expertise, of a state of the region. Alan and I have a million questions about uh, what's going on. We wanted to ask about Saudi Arabia, about Lebanon, about Syria, uh, about the Iranian... Plan to take over, and we definitely wanted an update on what's going on with the Kurds.
2: Can, can I note a bit of symbolism? Sure. That
0: uh, last night
2: at 8:20 there was a 7.3 earthquake Richter scale earthquake when in was last Iraq. Night? Because when people oh, listen sorry. to it, isn't so today today, today is it was Monday, 12th. right? Yeah, Sunday the
1: it was Sunday the 12th, uh,
2: 12th. and uh, it it was in Iraq, but it reverberated so much that it was already people even felt it down in Beersheva. So you understand the Middle East is is an interconnected web of peoples, countries, ethnicities, nationalities, And to beat your metaphor to death,
0: the tectonic plates are shifting. Exactly. There's, There's a, a, lot, a lot going on. By the I way, mean,
1: we, sh- we shouldn't, apart from, I mean, it's very nice that you're doing parables and so on, we shouldn't actually rule out the practicalities of the... Um, what's the word? Topographical yeah, geo no. stuff yeah. in this part of the world. Geography. The fact is we're built on a rift valley. The rift valley is incredibly um, active. There is every reason to believe that in our lifetime or your lifetime listening to this, there will be a major, major um, active event in this world the, in this part of the world that could lead to the deaths of tens of, of Absolutely, seismic event um, not only that um, we've also got obviously the issue of water and there are many people who believe that the next world war will begin in this part of the world and will be fought over water and, and, mm. and this is not beyond the realms of reality, if you listen to what the United Nations were saying last week, they were talking about the drought right now, famine in Yemen yeah. as being probably the most serious in the world since the time of the ethiopians
0: well how much can you give us some background into yemen i mean how much of this famine is man-made and how much of it is natural
1: no famine is entirely man-made you've got to start from that you're talking about a place that is all desert um if if you've been to southern israel you, you can see what the land is like there imagine that many times over and where the entire country is like that and where they haven't had either the skill or the peace um, to be able to turn the deserts green. It it is purely desert there. The real water that they've got is the salt water from, from the ocean, from the Sea of Oman. And they don't have the same desalination factories that have now been established in Israel and so on. So absolutely there is the natural side of things. But if you add on top of that the fact that Yemen... Oh, gosh for 20 years or so um, has been in one form of civil war or another it's hardly surprising that the people are not getting the access to what they need which is uh, the food um, the, 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 the revenues from oil and so on and so forth it's all being divided amongst a few little factions whether they were the official supposedly elected uh, uh, authorities in the country or more often the warlords who were leading the fight so Joe Public particularly in southern Yemen when they had bread uh, It's there 10, 15 years ago, it was because, quite literally, there was no bread in those parts of the world. So it's a mixture of the two.
0: So do you think the current bombardment by the Saudis and the the Iranian forces fighting the Saudis, you think that's just more of the same? There hasn't been a qualitative change that Yemen has degraded considerably in the last couple of years? Or is this just more of the same it's just uh, accumulated over time
1: no it's there's definitely been an increase in in the violence in yemen in terms of the 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 hardware the weapons that are being used there the american weapons obviously, American weapons, because America supplies most of the world, as do we, the Brits, the French, the Canadians, and so on. We're, we're all guilty. Um, but, but in terms of what these terrorists are using, and what's being dropped on them from the air, including by the Americans, uh, it's definitely increasing the problems. Um, and, and Saudi Arabia and Iran, if all things were fair, would actually be at war now between themselves on their border. But basically... You know, there should be a war between uh, Iran and Saudi Arabia across the sea. They're not doing that because they don't want a war on their own territory. So they're fighting a series of proxy okay. wars in other countries around the region. And right now, first and foremost, is, uh, is in Yemen. We were very close to a war breaking out in Bahrain between uh, Saudi Arabia mm-hmm. and Iran just, you know, a decade ago. So, uh, so maybe talk a little bit about what's happening in Saudi Arabia. Mm. So Saudi Arabia is very interesting, and, and I don't think we should either be jumping up and down uh, in, in euphoria about change, about women's uh, driving, about the, the the crown prince who could become the king very very soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the idea that he's going to bring overnight change. On the other hand, we shouldn't be having a downer on Saudi Arabia right now and saying, "Oh, you're all a bunch of Wahhabis, you're spreading terrorism around the world, etc., etc." The truth, as ever. in in all arguments whether it's between husband and wife or whether it's in geopolitics, the truth is always going to be somewhere in between Mm -hmm. Um, and clearly in Saudi Arabia there is a lot to be very optimistic about especially if you're Israeli parenthetically I urge caution to those people who like to use the term my enemy's enemy is my friend it is probably the most short sighted of things that you could possibly do especially in the Middle East because the Muslim, Middle Eastern mindset is not about tomorrow, the day after, or Benjamin Netanyahu's mindset of, I need to get reelected in four years' time. They're in it for the long haul. If it takes 100 years, 1,000 years to make a change, they can wait. So my enemy's enemy is my friend is a really short-sighted idea and should not be applied. Well, it's the
0: bull weevil principle. In the American South, they had these, uh, these little mites eating the cotton. They brought in the bull weevil, which ate those mites. Once they ate the mites... They eat the cotton a hundred times faster than those little right. mice. So sometimes you bring in something, you say the enemy is enemy, my friend, and then at the end of the day, and we've we've done that a number of times here in the Middle East. Cats. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
2: the British bring in cats to get rid of the mice. Right. And now is or, or, it's or on, a, or
1: on a, a bigger level, on, on our subjects, we've we've got to get back to Saudi Arabia. But what's happening in Iraq right now and Syria? You know, everybody's saying, "Oh, we've got to get rid of ISIS." Oh, before that right. we said we've got to get rid of Assad then we've got to get rid of, uh, and <laughs> Saddam then we've got to get rid of ISIS and now, um, only yesterday, a statement came out from an organisation uh, which in English is called the PMU, which is the Popular Mobilisation Units, <laughs> which is 40 different militias funded and armed by Iran, who in November of last year was subsumed into the Iraqi army and they have all of the privileges of uh, the army without the obligation so they are amongst the main people in Iraq fighting against ISIS, but they issued a statement yesterday saying next target for them is the United States because they believe that the Americans, whom they say have between six and 24,000 soldiers in Iraq, are an occupying force. Why do we keep doing
0: that in the Middle East? We, did it, we built up Saddam Hussein in the war against Iran until we made him our enemy. We did that with, we supported the Mujahideen against the uh, Soviet Union, and then they became the Taliban.
1: Like what? What exactly for the same reason you were talking about the weebles or the wobbles or whatever the, the weevils in the South <laughs> Sorry of America. For my American, same, yeah. same no no, it's exactly the same thing. Same principle and we do not learn. And again it's back to what I was saying about my enemy's enemy. You cannot work on that principle, especially in the Middle East. It's so short sighted. Um so back to Saudi Arabia. Um so you've got the, the, the crown prince who's making all of these great pronouncements. At the same, such as, such as at the women driving serious reform now let's just go back to something uh, to give context if you remember um, in, in the follow up to uh, 9-11 and the, and the war on terror and so on and the axis of evil George Bush the son made to my mind a huge mistake he said we need the Middle East and the Arab countries to become western democracies more or less that's what he said in a million years you cannot persuade them just like that to become western democracies, it's going to take, I mean I said a million million years obviously it's an exaggeration but still you have to do it bit by bit and that's what this Saudi leader is attempting to do you cannot... The Saudi act, leader being... No. Being the crown the, the prince. But yeah, the son. But also, the father... Martin Salman, well. Mohammed
0: yeah, bin Salman. Trying
1: to do what? You
2: think he's trying to make it a democratic Western society? No,
1: no, bit by a reform bit, more... By he's, mo-
0: he's trying to modernize... He, by, by Saudi Arabia has this broad power sp- structure of all these princes, and nothing can change. So he's taking away all their power autocratically. Mm-hmm. He says in order to make it a more moderate, modern country. It's also, of
1: course, to consolidate his power. But, I
0: mean, of course, that's what I'm saying. In other words,
2: everybody got all excited about China when they started going over to a more capitalist structure. Oh, they're going to become more Western. But they didn't really so much in terms of political structure. Well, in a sense,
0: this is almost the opposite. In other words, China, the goal was to be totalitarian, but they were using capitalism as a means. Here, Mohammed bin Salman, I feel like, tell me if I'm wrong, is more using autocratic means to at least what he's claiming is towards more democratic yeah, ends. That, that to certainly,
1: certainly seems to be the path. Um, you I,
2: guys are a lot more have a lot more positive than I am. Yeah, uh, no, that's yeah. what he's
1: saying. No, that's the way it seems so I understand also to he's saying Remember it, I said at the start that the truth always lies somewhere right. in the middle. All right. um, in, in, in Clarion, I think we're very much of the opinion, certainly the people who are doing a lot of the thinking in Clarion, that – There are many countries where, rather than democracy, benign dictatorship is a much better option. For now. For now. For now. For, for again... um, Remember, everything in the Middle East is long term. The for now can mean 50 years.
0: Mm-hmm. Could be 100 years. Right. So, why is that? That the
2: benign, a benign dictatorship could be better than democracy? Of all, I mean, we live in the West. We, right. we love see, our democracy.
1: You've got to look at the structure of, of society in a lot of countries. First of all, that's clan based. There are warlords out there. They need to be put into place. If you suddenly open uh, to democracy a country like that, you end up with a situation like we ended up with in Afghanistan and Iraq, where you end up having a parliament that's dominated by people who. Who, who believe in the gun rather than, you know, rather than. Look at the
0: United Nations. 60% of the nations in the UN don't believe in freedom, human rights, and the bankruptcy and use their vote 100%. for political ends instead of to make the world. Which war. is why. Or well, what happened in
1: Egypt. Which is, yeah, exactly. Uh, but in, in the case of the United Nations, it is. Wonderful. I'm not. I'm not a big uh, fan of Trump, but what they, he and his, um, what Nikki, Nikki Haley have yeah, doing Haley's. at the UN is phenomenal. Right. They are going with a with a, with, a, with a stick and stick approach. We fund thirty percent of your operations plus minus, and. Um, We are going to withdraw that money if you don't play the game. Even
0: in diplomatic language, sometimes you have to tell the truth. So
1: they are being, if you will, the Americans are being a benign uh, dictatorship towards the United Nations right now. And it's working. The the change is phenomenal.
0: I think to take another step back just sort of philosophically to orient to why this is, for democracy to work, you need all sorts of cultural things in place. You can't just hold elections and say, oh, now it's a democracy, which was the mistake of pushing the Palestinians to vote. Um, in 2006 you you have to have there there are so many things that enlightenment the renaissance the enlightenment brought in you have to have a somewhat detached scientific worldview that says these are the facts we agree upon now let's talk about You know, diagnoses and prescriptions, and argue about that. But there's a shared secular, logical reality that we can have conversations about. That's that is the essence of what we talk about when we talk about making life better. In cultures where you don't have that, where a scientific worldview, and I mean that in the broadest sense, not just in the academic sense of the the field, field more
2: rationalist. Yeah, yeah. If you don't have
0: that rationalist, Mm -hmm. empirical way of looking at the world, then you don't have a functional. You can't have a functional democracy.
1: the United States, say pre Obama, because the Obama period and the Trump period are, are, are weird and hopefully, I pray, an- anomalous and that they will just disappear and we'll all hopefully forget about them. But,
2: but again, nice positive outlook.
1: <laughs> prior, prior to that, sure, there were divisions in, uh, in the United States. Okay, gun control and abortion, put those two aside. The differences between left and right were not that. Great. I still I
0: mean, remember in 2000, people arguing, these guys
1: are basically the same guy. You're voting for
0: Bush or Gore. In right. retrospect, that exactly. Sounds silly, exactly.
1: The, that's exactly silly. But again, so- there have been exceptions like right. Vietnam and so on. But but by and large, there there are basic rules of engagement in the United States between left and right. Those rules. Do not exist in most countries in the Middle East it's, it's all well and good coming out with these ridiculous terms as well as the only democracy in the Middle East it doesn't it doesn't really mean anything it just sounds like blasé PR for Israel mm-hmm. bottom line debate in most Arab countries does not exist in the in the way that we understand it if you were to remove the Egyptian army from the streets of Egypt and it's not like in Israel where where the army is just on the borders in Egypt they're on the streets alongside the police keeping order if you were to remove them and say okay we're going to have a fully-fledged democracy we'll have the the the, the al Nour party whose leader was in jail for years uh coming out we'll have the Muslim Brotherhood we'll have a lot, the you know the, the, the supposedly Democrats um and we'll, we'll, and we'll just allow free for all in Parliament it would be murder Literally, Somebody in Parliament in Egypt would pull out a gun and shoot half of the opposition. And that's the world that you're dealing with. So you can't overnight do what Bush wanted and introduce democracy to these places because it's it's just not in the mindset. You're skipping centuries of cultural evolution that can't be skipped. There's no shortcut. And, 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 And that is not me it's not a pejorative it's not me having a downer on 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 arab societies it's just a different it it has
0: nothing to do imagine going to charlemagne in the feudal middle ages and saying okay let's all have democracy it just would it would explode into war okay so if we can
2: bring the philosophical now down to the more practical i I I didn't realize i did philosophy yeah right but uh, sort of to you know our northern border Syria, Lebanon,
0: Hezbollah, Iraq, Iran. But let's not move on. So Saudi Arabia is going through this weird period of reform, which is neither – which is both terrifying as a Democrat and encouraging as a Democrat. It's this mix. They're in a proxy war with Iran, and that has – that's the big story that explains – all the other little...
1: exactly, hundred percent, a thousand percent, and that totally fits in with what you're about to say, Alan, mm-hmm. because that war between Iran and Saudi Arabia is being fought, you know, a few miles from, from the border of Israel.
2: So go ahead. So what, so can you talk about that, how does that play out between all those configurations on our northern border? whereas where down the fight in Yemen is fairly removed from us even though it's a terrible fight that's
0: Is that one of the the most is that one of the most horrible things going on? Like I feel like there's human beings in a meat grinder in Yemen between the bombs falling the starvation and the cholera I feel like this is one of the worst human disaster areas on earth and nobody seems to care
1: Absolutely Imagine um, the impact that ISIS is having in Syria and Iraq Mm -hmm. and and magnify it by 10, 20 fold that's what Yemen is right now So
0: why why is that why are we oh, why are no because eyes for,
1: on well, first of all think about all those amazing videos that, that isis has produced over the last uh, three four years they revolutionized what we see and what we think they revolutionized the idea of asymmetric warfare um asymmetric warfare until that point was uh, we know we've got, say, an example in Israel: suicide bombers, knifers, and so on. But suddenly, to find you know the the the, the video becoming a weapon to the extent that it was, and, and in far more um like far more 3D than it was ever used in in, in the time of the Holocaust. I mean, it, it's staggering the effect that that's had. On, and, and obviously, you know, there was no social media 75 years ago. The impact is tremendous. We at Clarion are in the middle of making a film about it called Kids, which is going to be um, coming out next year, uh, talking about the way that ISIS, but not just ISIS, is impacting the way that radical Islam is impacting on kids, whether they're Muslim or or, or white. Um, It's just unbelievable impact but again in terms of the absolute cold reality for those people who can go beyond the headlines and beyond the videos what's happening in Yemen is, is far far worse
0: they need a good social media marketing team to
1: yeah um, the, the thing is who's going to have it first the Iranians right. and the Saudis or the actual people who matter in Yemen right you know the people are the people are in irrelevance people throughout the Middle I mean, East. they're protesting,
0: period. Saudi Arabia, they're protesting the United States because they see that's where all the... Mm-hmm. Okay, so I keep distracting mm-hmm. from Syria. Yeah. So by the way,
1: there is see. just very quick aside and parenthetically, there is uh, an incredible similarity which people don't really talk about between what's happening in Yemen and what's happening in the Horn of Africa, most notably uh, yeah, right now right. in Somalia. Yeah, yeah, right. They are ethnically very connected people mm, because sure. the Yemenis sailed across to, to Somalia. I and mean, if you think about the, the skin color and so on, they are very, very similar people. And again, it's another country that's been absolutely torn to shreds by the same type of uh, warfare. Yeah. But anyway, we digress. The country
0: formerly known as Syria.
1: Yes. We, yes. Oh, we know we're on the, formerly country, this, the country formerly known as Lebanon, I think. Are we doing At,
2: Well, I think the whole, I mean, you have the whole northern border is interconnected. How's the like this, so
0: doing?
1: The lo- <laughs> okay. I'm British, I'm going to hold up my hand, we're 100 years after Balfour, and so on. The, the Sykes-Picot, the decision to cut up your, uh, the, the Middle East, supposedly with the green pen and all that stuff, uh, who knows how much of that is apocryphal and how much actually happened, was a huge, huge mistake. You cannot simply look at a map and cut lines in it, straight lines. The only place where it kind of works is the United States, because there was nobody living in the Midwest and so on. And we well, don't, except we, 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 I was just about to say we don't really we care about Native them. Americans. They got rid of them. Yeah, exactly. So you <laughs> could, there you could just do straight lines. <laughs> A little uh, genocide uh, took but, care of it. But, but in the Middle East, the, the, the lines that were drawn were just ridiculous. And the ultimate example of this is Lebanon. Um, if you were to say to me today, David, what's the population of Lebanon?, I would say, not in terms of the numbers, but in terms of the the, sect- uh, the, the demographics. demographics, the religious breakdown, I do not know. I can guess... And, and the guess that I'm going to give is not necessarily something that we would want here. It's actually very negative. The, Sunni, the, the Shiites are clearly in the ascendancy right now. But nobody knows, because there hasn't been a census carried out in Lebanon for decades. Because everybody was so scared of upsetting the balance. There was an agreement conducted um, 20-odd years ago in a place called Taif, in saudi arabia it's an air base in northern uh, northern uh, saudi arabia not too far actually from israel you know as you, if you're in a latin you're looking down and see saudi arabia so just over those hills is taif um and the leaders, all the various Lebanese leaders, met in Taif to discuss the whole issue of, of, of democracy in, in, in Lebanon. And they decided that the presidency would be held by this, the, the, the uh, Speaker of Parliament would be held by that, the Prime Minister would be this. So you had all the different sections, Sunni's so Shiites... Uh, Wasn't it mostly was, set
0: up by the French, like to, to keep the Christians on top? That, and the,
1: uh, theoretically, yes, yes. But clearly now the Christians are not the majority right. in, um, in, in Lebanon.
0: Which um, was inevitable. Probably, absolutely, yeah. ab-
1: absolutely. Look, um, I mean, j- just in terms of. Um, oh, this is another what,
0: example what, of your colonialist point that they set up a structure that wasn't maintainable. No,
1: it was, uh, but also don't forget religiously. What, what's the word for ladies having babies? Um, what's the word? The numbers of the numbers of kids a woman has, whatever it is, anyway, birth ratio, the bur- bur- the birth, the birth rates, rate. whatever. The birth rate is much higher amongst Shiites than Sunnis and and it's higher than amongst Sunnis than it is amongst Christians in in Lebanon and and you're talking about you know a matter of three four generations clearly there's going to be a shift it's amazing, actually, that the Shiites haven't yeah. pushed for, uh, for some sort of census. So is this,
2: what, is this part of the influence of why Iran is getting Absolutely. stronger? Absolutely, Hezbollah. And,
1: and not only that, uh, just the way Hamas runs uh, charity programs and Islamic Jihad run charity programs in Gaza and became popular mm-hmm. that way and is doing exactly the same in East Jerusalem today and Israel is doing nothing about it. Hamas is very strong in East Jerusalem today. Exactly the same way Hezbollah is operating... Particularly in southern Lebanon, which of course is close to Israel and is the Shiite stronghold, um, they pump lots of money in. Um, they they run charities. And if you go to the northern, okay. if, if you go to the northern border to Misgav Am, I believe it's called mm-hmm. in Israel, yes. and you look up on the hill, you will see a replica of the Dome of the Rock. It's a beautiful of, of, of the dome of yeah, of the Dome of the Rock. It's a beautiful mosque built and uh, by and paid for by the Iranians. In fact, it was dedicated by Iran's could-be foreign minister who visited Lebanon about six, seven years ago. Um, and, uh, uh, and there were lots of, sort of Israelis protesting and waving Israeli flags at the bottom of the hill while the whole opening ceremony was going on on the top of the hill. So right and opposite. Iran is building bases, right? Military absolutely. bases. Abs- in, uh... and, and there was absolutely no doubt that the agreements that came at the end of the 2006 war Uh, which is UN Resolution 1701, uh, which basically set out how the war should end, it says in it very, very clearly, the only force in Lebanon that shall be allowed to carry weapons, to bear arms, is the official force of the Lebanese government. In other words, the Lebanese army. That has never right. ca- happened. The other idea is that there's well, own- I a mean, a thought that that would happen? No, of course not. But right. it keeps people quiet for five minutes. Right. You know, short-termism as opposed to the long-termism right. we talked about before. Um, the other point is that uh, there's a river called the Litani, which is just above Israel's border. It runs somewhere between, in kilometers, six and 15 kilometers roughly north of, so what's that, uh, three, four miles to about ten miles north of the, of the border, that Hezbollah is not allowed to operate south of that line. I've seen with my own eyes Hezbollah operating south of that line. I've sat on the border with binoculars watching Hezbollah troops and, and, and you know, armoured vehicles and, and so on and so forth. I've actually got a great photograph of... Um, that I took of an APC that's run by UNIFIL, the United Nations uh, peacekeeping body uh, in southern Lebanon, um, and they're, they're coming round a corner, uh, right armor across... i personnel carrier. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, I'm no, a personnel carrier, coming right around a corner, right opposite the, the border with Israel, and they're underneath the Hezbollah flag. Right on the border. Um,
2: well, that goes back to your, what you were speaking about before, about the water issues. I mean, the Litani River is a major, major source of water confrontation over the decades between Israel and Syria. Where are we? About
1: 12 years ago, I'm guessing. Um, very briefly, yeah. the water from the Litani was, was it the Litani or the, the I think it was the Litani. There's, there's, four, there's four, the four sources yeah. of, of the um, Jordan. Jordan. Right. All come out of the Golan Heights, mainly from Lebanon, but also from Syria. Uh, and the four of them um, have Hebrew names once they're in Israel. But yeah. up there, the, the Wazani, the, yeah. uh, the Litani, there's, there's four of them. Uh, one of them was yeah. diverted. Right. Was a um,
2: and also in the 70s, there was a big... Right. Uh, Absolutely. A and, and by the way, it was
1: diverted, diverted completely in, in, in breach of international law. There's right. very clear percentages of water right. that you've got to allow to flow through. Um, Water is a major, major problem. By the
2: way, those three waters, rivers are Chabad in, oh, in the, Hebrew. The, the, Hiz, the, Hiz, the Hiz, Hizban? Chizbani, Hiz, uh, uh, Banias,
0: and Dan.
1: Right, oh, in Hebrew, right. right. Once in they Hebrew, come across.
0: Yeah. yeah. Wait, but the, so the leader of Lebanon now is or isn't being held hostage in Saudi Arabia?
1: He gave a television interview overnight to the TV channel that he owns, al Mustakbal, Future TV, uh, he gave that interview from Saudi Arabia, just to give people uh, background, last week Saad al-Hariri, whose father I think al-Hariri was, was assassinated, he was also a Prime Minister um, uh, Saad al-Hariri is a good guy as far as Israel is concerned. He, he's in the good camp. He's certainly a good guy as far as America is concerned. Very anti Um He, and I'm, I'm sure that off the record, uh, deep, deep, deep down, he's had relationships with, with Israeli leaders and they've met, or his people have met, I'm sure. Um, he traveled to Saudi Arabia, resigned in Saudi Arabia, saying he fears for his life right now. Now, presumably, he didn't do that on a whim, and he had some concrete intelligence, <laughs> presumably from yeah. the United States or from Israel. Um, he has gone over there. He, uh, uh, so he gave an interview, a TV interview to his own channel. If he was being held hostage by Saudi Arabia, as his is claiming, I assume he wouldn't have been able to give that so the claim
0: from Hezbollah is the Saudis, he, we're not threatening the, the status quo in Lebanon. The Saudis are using him as a pawn to make Correct. us look bad.
1: Correct. Very nicely explained.
0: And he's saying that's not true he's and saying, I'll say that directly on my own. Right.
1: And he also said that he will in the very near future go back to Lebanon now that could be nonsense uh, I would imagine I, I, might, I might be wrong but I imagine we'll see him on the streets of New York or Washington before we see him on the streets of Beirut um, unless he ends up going to Beirut and living like the, the leader of Hezbollah who hasn't come out of his little man cave for you know, however many years um, and that's because there's a, a, a Hezbollah leader fears that Israel is going to take him out um, so Saad al- hariri he says I'm not being held hostage I've done. I resigned, I wasn't forced out, um, but these people are out to get me. And all the signs are that, if not today, then in a month, in six months, in a year, in five years, in ten years, Hezbollah would try to take him out one way or another, whether it's through the democratic process, and there is, to a large extent, a democratic process in Lebanon. Um, or they would turn to the gun and take him out that
0: way. But does him leaving help that speed up that process? In other words, with, that, with when a prime minister resigns, a moderate prime minister resigns, isn't that an opportunity for Hezbollah to?
1: Yeah, there's a vacuum. But don't forget, how many years was it that they didn't have a president? Just now, two, three years that they just couldn't get there, and they tried to arrange a presidential election dozens of times and every time it came to parliament it, they just had arguments and it all, it all fell and they couldn't arrange on a date, a date for, for an election so one man's vacuum is another man's merry-go-round in, in Lebanon
0: I mean they have, Hezbollah has enough power in the parliament to sort of trap everything up, yes. and stalemate yes. everything, yes. but they don't have enough control yet.
1: Not right now, no. But they they have enough leverage that they can stop um, any. They could stop, for example, kind of the like budget going through. Yeah, yeah, or or again in Israeli politics think about the various parties who hold ransom Uh, uh, they also partly because they need to have everybody represented in um, uh, in Lebanon confession is the word I was thinking of before it's the confessional system there are 17 different confessions which means religious groupings in Lebanon and they've all got to have representation there so you've got myriad parties the same way as in Israel uh, the same way you had in in Italy in the the post-war period and so everything gets stalled whether it's Hezbollah or not it just gets stalled because of a ridiculous political system that needs reforming
2: so uh, we're sort of I guess winding down here well I want to hear about the Kurds well, I was going to say well we really didn't get a chance to the Kurds the Kurds are such a huge
1: huge sad oh, issue oh no we're not going to do <laughs> part two <laughs> how are they who the Kurds yeah. yeah the Kurds is not as black and white as Clarion for example would have the world believe we do it in some ways to simplify the matter and try to say the Kurds are the good guys, but it's way more complicated. There were lots of bad guys and, and, and good guys within the Kurds. Different militant different groups. Different militant groups. There are Kurds who support the Iranians, amazingly. Um, there were some who were more loyal to, to the sort of Iraqi side of things. Um, but the bottom line is that... The Kurds, who are kind of in authority right now, and don't forget the president of the Kurdish areas just resigned, um, they are very much uh, friends with the United States. They are very much friends with Israel. They feel phenomenally let, let down by the United States that when they voted, when was it? September the 29th, I think, on a referendum about independence, just the same as what was done in Catalonia. It's a very similar process, uh, including... At around the same well. time. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there was a, week or so, a week's difference. Um, they, they feel let down because they didn't have the support of anybody. Bottom line, very quickly, just to give the newsy update. After September 29th, I believe it was, very soon after, the Iraqi army moved forward. They said there's a disputed area around a town called Kirkuk. There are are two major Kurdish centers. There's Erbil, which is the capital, which is right in the heart of the Kurdish area. The capital of? Of Kurdistan.
0: Which is not an actual nation state. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And we can... uh, the Kurds is incredibly complicated. Real Kurdistan, not the one you'll see on a map today, includes bits of Turkey, bits of Syria, bits of Iraq, and bits of Iran. But we're only talking about the bits in Iraq. A uh, semi-autonomous okay? yeah. region. Then. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're, they're, they are, what, 13 million people? Yeah. Um, in an area plus That's a massive crazy. diaspora. That's and then indigenous
0: homeless. Middle Eastern people don't who be, aren't don't define themselves as Arab.
1: And I'm not getting into the politics of it, but if you want to measure, they certainly have stronger territorial uh, claims. claims than the Palestinians do. Uh, historically. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I'm not judging the Palestinian claims. I'm just saying as a fact, they have more of a, of a connection. Um, the The Kurds, after the election, uh, saw that the Iraqi army was heading towards Kirkuk, which is the second largest, the second town, and it's in a disputed area. Why is Kirkuk so significant? What's the word? Oil. Oil. Well done, sir. It's the oil centre. The Kurds were producing 600,000 barrels of oil a day. All of that oil, prior to September 29th, was being shipped out of a pipeline through Kurdistan into Turkey, and then Turkey was sending it on to the centre. So even though the Turks don't like the Kurds, because there was a financial incentive, they were cooperating. The Iraqis said, hang on a minute, 300,000 barrels a day, slightly more than that, is produced in the Kirkuk area. The Kirkuk area is a disputed territory. We are going to come and reclaim that territory. The, the Kurds are very tired. They've been fighting ISIS. They've been, doing, they've been doing God's work. They've been doing America's work. They've been doing everybody's work. Mostly
0: the Peshmerga. Not yeah. The, yeah.
1: yeah. And, and so... The the Kurds, I think, just because they're tired and frustrated and whatever, just back down and let the Iraqis take that without really a fight. So the Iraqis are now holding three hundred thousand barrels uh, of oil a day, plus Kirkuk, because the oil is what's really right. important. And one sec, one sec, I can see you looking puzzled. No, 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 I'm just. Okay. And wait, one sec. So what's happened to that three hundred thousand barrels of oil is. The Iraqis are saying, we want to ship that out to market. We're clearly not going to use the route that goes through Kurdistan because then we'll be beholden to the Kurds and we'll have to pay them money. We want to get that out to Turkey through the old pipeline. The trouble is, the old pipeline from Kirkuk, because of fighting and so on, it hasn't been maintained for years. So they need to fix it, which will take a few weeks slash months. So for the time being, 300,000 barrels of oil per day is being produced in the Kirkuk area, but is being held in reserve by the Iraqis. That is approximately 50% of the Kurdish economy gone overnight. So the Kurds are in this phenomenally difficult position. They've had a vote, they've voted for independence, or they voted that they should have independence through negotiations with the Iraqis. The Iraqis say no, the Turks say no, the Americans say no, everybody says no, and Except they're then, no, but the Israelis are irrelevant. Okay. Um, the, 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 uh, and, and, and 50% of their economy has disappeared overnight. So they're in a terrible position, they're in a much worse position than they were on September the 28th. Um, the the Sort of the, the geopolitical analyst in me says that even though we love the Kurds to bits, they've made a massive mistake and they could suffer and they might not get that state for many, many years because of what they've done over the last month or so.
0: But the devil's advocate position would be every independence movement starts with suffering. You can't, There's always sacrifice yeah. on the road to independence.
1: 100%. The only trouble is that we're talking as uh, we started in the Middle East and it's uh, not, and it's
0: and not for, the
2: Balkans. And for Israelis that uh, argue that self-determination is basically a natural right for every nation Mm -hmm. that puts the Kurds in the self-determination
0: and the Palestinians Uh, and the Palestinians. Yeah. Once a hundred percent. Yeah. Right. Just briefly, how does all this, all this, so all this Saudi Arabia and Iran are dividing the middle East in, in proxy wars. Saudi Arabia is in tremendous turmoil or at least in some sort of weird transition, transition, uh, Syria's chaos, Lebanon's chaos ish.
1: Yemen's chaos. There are, many, there are many countries we've not talked about that are also in chaos. Um, and there are, there are some countries that are stable. Wait, so would you just,
2: say the chaos are in transition? Like Lebanon, is Lebanon chaos? It's because, I mean, his bull's taking over. I feel I mean, like it's like that's that's a question of chaos, or transition? Is it, is chaos it, to it,
0: us. But. Is it growing and changing? Or is there a powder keg being filled with gunpowder that at some point will explode? I feel like Lebanon is being filled with gunpowder. Well, yep. those are called missiles. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and these questions are very much rhetorical because we don't, we don't know the answer. I can right. also conjecture, but... We won't, won't
0: know till we know. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, but I, I see you're, you're trying to wrap. So, so let me give a couple of thoughts, if I can remember them. Yeah. Um, one is always look at the macro, not the micro. We've been talking micro, but always zoom out and ask the simple question, is this in Saudi Arabia's interest or is it in Iran's interest? That will explain everything that's happening in the Middle East. Do not buy into the argument which was made for decades, and most annoyingly by King Abdullah of Jordan, who supposedly was Israel's friend, that the Israeli-Palestinian conflict was was the... the, the, the basis of all the troubles in the Middle East. It's nonsense, and I would imagine that since 2011 that's been blown out of the water, but I'm sure that it will come back and surface as another ugly meme mm-hmm. that we should rule out, because that is not what this is about. This is about domination of the region, call it religious, call it land-based, wh- whatever you want to call it. Um, Resources and money. <laughs> let, me, let me finish, unless you've got more questions, on on, on a positive for Israel. I think that the opportunities right now in the Middle East outweigh uh, the the chances of war for Israel, the chances of um, implosion. I think, and yes, I am kind of buying into the my my enemy is is my friend, but I think there is a long-termism in this particular uh, case that, that means it could be good. Saudi, the, the Gulf Cooperation Countries, which is basically Saudi Arabia, Bahrain.
0: Um, we haven't even got c- into Saudi. Str- UAE, no, like Qatar, we haven't got and into
1: a. The UAE. And the, the, in, as far as we're concerned, yeah. it's really Saudi Arabia and the UAE because that's yeah. where the money is. Plus, Qatar. And I, I, I don't think Qatar are just bad guys. They're very pragmatic. Qatar will come into line with Israel. Uh, I was in Qatar when there was an Israeli flag flying there over one of the hotels a decade or so ago. Um, and Bahrain, which is also a fairly rich country. All All of those places know that long-term, Iran and Shi'ism is a problem. All of those places, given the talk that Mohammed bin Salman is talking about, um, the practical things that we see in uh, in the UAE in terms of self-driving cars and so on that are already on the streets there, kind of experimentally, they are in the same place that Israel is in. Their number one resource, especially as oil is drying up, even though they, they still have massive uh, resources. By the way, part of the reason for the war in Syria is that they've got no oil anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in Saudi Arabia, in, 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 in particularly in the UAE, their number one resource is human capital, is the brains. And they're not the way some Israelis try to paint a bunch of, you know, Forgive me, dumb Arabs, you know, with a camel in the desert. These are people who are really turning the desert green. It might not be green with grass like we've, like, like Israel has done, but, but, but green with, um, with buildings, with, with, with just phenomenal achievements that they're doing there. And they see that the, what they have in common with Israel far outweighs what they don't have. Right now, there are talks going on. Supposedly, reportedly, Mohammed bin Salman, who's about to become the king of Saudi Arabia, was in Tel Aviv about a month ago. I, think I mean, maybe. the
0: king may crown him and resign. Yes,
1: they, um, that, that, they're talking That's about imminent in, in yeah. days. And, and, and everything we're seeing, all these arrests and whatever, completely, fall, to into that, for that, completely right. fall into that. Don't be surprised if, in the next 10 years, we see uh, an Israeli embassy in Riyadh. Don't be surprised. I, I, think, I think... You guys heard it here first. Again, I, I might be a thousand percent wrong, but I hope and pray that I'm right. Because, you know, for, for, for God's sake, literally, not taking God's name in vain, for God's sake, there has to be an end to the bloodshed in this region. region that what's happened in Syria, what's happened in Yemen, everything we've been talking about in, in, in the last half an hour is nonsensical, it's damaging, it's sending everybody back into the dark ages, where... The the, the, the the 21st century is just a hop, skip and a jump away. Forget democracy. That's why benign dictatorship works. The hop, skip and a jump to economic salvation. And at the end of the day, everyone in, in the world cares about health and wealth first. If we can make that jump, you can have an economic organisation in this part of the world that is akin to the European Union or ASEAN or any of these giant blocks that can... Be a world leader. And we're really close to it. It just takes knocking a few idiots' heads together and, as Netanyahu rightly says, changing the, getting rid really of the incitement in the schools, not just against Israel, against America, against Shiites, against Sunnis, whatever it is.
0: I mean, isn't that what happened in Europe? With, you know, the, 100%,
1: 100%. A 30
0: years' world didn't do it, a Crimean War didn't yep. do it, World War I didn't do it, World War II, yep. and then finally that's enough heads knocked together. Yeah,
1: I mean, the, the, for years they've talked about a Marshall Plan for the Middle East, and yep. that's basically what you need.
0: Yeah yeah boy, I could do this for like hours and hours, but yeah, we had to do. <laughs> we ran a little <laughs> sorry bit. sorry if out. I talked too much. But a little bit. No, not you. We just are very
2: intrigued uh, by it, and uh, you or we'll have to have you back for another episode. yeah, uh, as, Yeah. hopefully we, we can keep, periodically come to you for As we keep updates. our pulse on uh, those big changes, which of course affect us tremendously, yep
0: all right feeling a little nervous <laughs> a little or optimistic nervous.
2: is that still of the uh, or the the aftershocks from the earthquake last night
0: or keeping yeah. us uh, yeah 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 <laughs> but but ultimately everything is leading somewhere better i think that's the way that's 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 the i guess the jefferson in me
1: God in, inshallah. inshallah inshallah
0: inshallah all right thank you so much david i can't tell you how much we appreciate yeah. it thanks david Thanks a million. Thanks so much, Alan. Thank you, Mike. All right. Bye. Bye. This has been JU Israel, the Teacher's Lounge Podcast. Please check out our website, juisrael.jerusalemu.org, for episodes, blog posts, and contact information. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever you use for podcasts. But you knew that, right? Uh, You can follow our Facebook page at the Teacher's Lounge Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Gap. Please keep in touch with us with questions, comments, feedback, and suggestions. And if you know somebody who would enjoy our podcast in general or an episode in particular, we love it when people recommend us. Thank you, guys.